Welcome to the Rainbow Bull with Tim Volk from T. Volk and Company Consulting. In this podcast, Tim, a proud member of the LGBTQ community, discusses a range of topics around the five capitals of a flourishing family, human, intellectual, social, spiritual, and financial capital. Tim will use this framework as he and his guest experts delve into the secrets of the wealthy and how we might learn from them. So let's get started on this exciting adventure together. You want a child, but infertility has made that unlikely. So you're exploring options, including surrogacy. Tim Volk's returning guest is Arden O'Connor, and she will share her journey to parenthood. Tim? Thanks, Patrice. I'm very excited today. Arden, thanks for coming back on the, the show. Some of my listeners may have heard you talk earlier as the founder and CEO of the O'Connor Professional Group and your leadership in helping deal with crisis and mental health issues uh, that families and individuals face. And the work you do is is really that of an angel. I, I swear that's the way I like to look at it. And I think it's so fun as friends, you know, we share a lot of our personal topics and this journey that you're on, I think is a really powerful journey to parenthood. And I was so excited that you're willing to share and talk about it. So today we're going to talk about something near and dear to your heart that you've been working on. And I think you've been thinking about it for a long time. So you want to talk about the evolution of how you got to where we are? Sure. I think that would be great. And thanks for inviting me to talk about this. I love talking about mental health and addiction issues, but this is also, like you said, near and dear to my heart. So I, uh, single 45, never married. And, you know, I I think like many people, I just assumed it was going to happen. I was going to get married like my, my parents did and, and have children quote unquote, the normal way. I was diagnosed with leukemia when I was 25. So 20 years ago now. And, I'm really lucky. I had my brother at the time was an exact genetic match. He gave me his stem cells for a bone marrow transplant. And it's interesting when the doctor told me about side effects of the treatment, which included repeated rounds of chemo and radiation, they would say, you know, you get cataracts, this happens that, oh, you can't have kids. It's like, they just kind of went down the laundry list. And I'm like, wait, can we, can we just dial it back here for a second? Uh, I'd like to go back to the one about the kids. But, you know, frankly, I was 25. I was bald and I was sitting there being told I was going to have to fight for my life. And, you know, my mom was obviously incredibly devastated about this idea that I couldn't have kids, but my mind was like, okay, well, I'm not married. I'm not even close to being married like this. I just want to get through the the cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. So this was in 2005, around that time. And at that time you could freeze unfertilized eggs. So I didn't have a partner. I didn't have a boyfriend or a husband. Um, you could freeze unfertilized eggs, but when they thawed them, they didn't have the technology to use them. They weren't having success having live births from that. So my mom found a very controversial doctor, not controversial. He was very cutting edge is the better word, but anything cutting edge, I suppose, is a little controversial. So he basically could take ovarian tissue and freeze it. And then the idea was I could do IVF with my own ovarian tissue and produce eggs and then eventually 
combine it with sperm and have a child. So I had sort of known this in the background, didn't think much of it. In about 2018, I was getting older and I finally was saying like, okay, if I really want a family, this may be something I have to explore on my own. Mm -hmm. And I went through a million and one consults around this idea of using this ovarian tissue, ultimately learned that there was a small percentage chance that I could get the leukemia back if I went through this procedure. And when I heard that, I sort of said it was a small percentage chance I'd get leukemia to begin with. I'm not taking any, I seem to be a needle in the haystack type of person. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to chance that. I became more serious about really wanting to have kids on my own in about 2019. You know, everyone asks, was there a light bulb moment? I don't think there was. I think I just was sort of like, okay, I'm in my forties now. I've got good energy. I take care of myself. And I hope that I still, and I still to this day, hope that I meet and marry somebody, but I don't know that I want to be 55 thinking about what are my options. So I started going to one clinic and after another, and that's that's sort of where the journey began. And I'm happy to share more. There've been a lot of ups and downs, and I probably could speak just throughout the entire podcast without let, letting you answer another question. Um, but, th- but that's where it started. I knew I wanted to be a mom. I knew it was not going to be likely that I was going to be able to use my own genetic material. I'm not married now. And so I said, okay, this is going to be a sperm donor, an egg donor. And they told me there was a chance I could carry a baby, but it would be a high risk pregnancy. And I just said, you know what? I've been through enough and my body's high risk. Yeah. a lot. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to do that. So I am using an egg donor, sperm donor, and surrogate. And that's sort of been the path. Well, we're going to continue down the next, you know, all these things because I think it's fun. <laughs> but I want to know what mom and dad thought first. What did your, who did Great you tell question. first? Who did you tell first? How, how did my you come to the mom, decision? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I told my mom, my mom and I, if you ever see us, we, first of all, we both have the same name, Arden and Arden. And my best friend named her oldest daughter, Arden. So there's a lot of Ardens running around in this world for such a rare name. So I told my mom that I was going to start doing consults. And at that time, I just said to her, look, I want to know, you know, it was 2018. I was still sort of on the fence about was how fast I was going to do this. But I said, I want to know how long it'll take and how much money it costs. And I want to just have an understanding in my brain about how this would work. She said, okay, that makes sense. And then I would do one conversation and that would spawn three more. And so as I got further down the road, my mom came to a couple of the meetings with me, almost like a partner. And she really has been that to me throughout this process. Because there's a great. lot of decisions that you're making. You know, do I do this risky procedure with the that could bring the leukemia back? Do I want a sperm donor with blonde hair or dark hair? You know, like there's all these things that yeah. can be very confusing. So I told her first. My father, I was really a little nervous. I mean, we're no surprise. I'm, my last name's O'Connor. We're Irish Catholic and and practicing Catholics. I, I'm very proudly Catholic. Lots of problems with the church, I am aware, <laughs> and I, I struggle with those every day. But I am somebody who goes to mass every week, and he was fine with it. He really? he's one of the most adaptable older adults I know. You know, he had a son who died of an opiate overdose. I've put him through the ringer as a single woman who's got lots of opinions when he came from a conservative family and went into addiction treatment as a Harvard Business School grad, which is frankly not a real, not the path most people take. Investment banking is what they were thinking or something. (laughs) Exactly. They were like, we're going to be rich. We're going to be rich. It's going to be great. Our daughter's going to take care of us. You're going to do what? (laughs) You're going to do what? Why? And, And really... 
actually out of that, he was more concerned, like our son just had this issue. Why do you want to talk about this depressing topic? And in a prior life, I had also run a home for foster care kids coming out of Harvard College, which was not a popular decision either. So I've put I've put my parents through their paces. But my dad, my dad, actually, when I tried to explain what was happening, he said, if this is really what you want, I'm 100% behind you. He's like, could you just let me know when the baby is here? Because I don't understand what the hell you're talking about with the egg donor and the sperm donor. You know, and even I took about 17 tries. I would have to say to the doctor, so the, the sperm is going where? Can you, what's the embryo again? What, when does the, when does it go in the, in the surrogates, the mother? I was like totally perplexed myself. So the fact that my dad, who you know, significantly older than me was perplexed, wasn't a surprise. And they are now both very much behind it. But, you know, as a practicing Catholic family, this isn't something that's in the Bible. It's really not condoned by the church. So I was concerned. I actually eventually told the priest that we're close to in my family, too. And all those conversations have been awkward. How'd that go? You know, again, really progressive priest, somebody I really admire, um, somebody famous in the Boston community. If you're Catholic in Boston, Father Uni is his name and everybody adores him. And he was very open minded. He gave me a few things to think about, but very supportive and just exactly how you would want it to be, which has been the vast majority of the reactions I've gotten have been good for you. I'm excited that you want to create a family. And I did, one thing I didn't mention is that I've done, I also really researched adoption. I'd worked mm-hmm. in the foster care system. I'd run a home for kids who were in the foster care system. And because I knew this child wasn't going to be genetically related to me, it's something I seriously considered. I was really open on the race of the child. I did know I wanted a newborn, but adoption is a little bit different than it was historically it's there's really not a huge market for international adoptions and international adoptions. You're really talking about children two and up, which I've taken some developmental class for me. It was something I wasn't as comfortable with on the domestic side. It's complicated as a single woman. I'm not in a, a preferred category. Uh-huh. Actually, anybody partnered other <laughs> single women are sort of the bottom bottom of the list for her parents who are giving up their children for mothers, giving up their children. And there's also a significant risk of mothers who are either using marijuana, alcohol, or or cigarettes. And something, mm-hmm. you know, more intensive substances than that are also possible. And because of the nature of what I do for work, I and because I lost a brother to a fentanyl overdose, I just said, look, you know, while I know it could, it's something I could handle, it's just something I'm not sure I want. I want to maximize my chances that it's a that it's a healthy baby that's coming in. And and I was a little too nervous, especially on my own. I think if I had had a partner and a supportive partner, I would say, okay, this is something we can do and we'll be able up for the challenge. But as somebody who owns three dogs and lives alone and runs a company, I was like, let's, let's try and maximize the chances that that's not something that's, that's part of the narrative. So that's sort of the. That's an interesting, that's an interesting way to narrow it. It is. You know, and I, I think given your background, you know, more than most people in that you know, where the likelihood of the adopted child is going to come from. I mean, it's usually not going to be the best circumstances. That's right. And I talked to, this wasn't like me just guessing. I talked to multiple agencies. I really grilled them on how often do you know who the father is and what the genetics of the father are and 
how much can you monitor a, a mother and do you drug test them? You know, really lots of different questions and ultimately came up with, and, and I was honest, I said, this is also something I want to happen soon. COVID was in the middle of this process when I was researching. And so that delayed things a little bit. And, you know, it's, and I turned 45 a few months ago. So it's not like I have, for me personally, I wanted this to happen two years ago. So I don't have a five-year or 10-year horizon. I think if you are more flexible on timing, you're more flexible on age of the child, you're more I open see. to various special needs. Mm-hmm. Adoption is still a great option for so many people. So it's not a judgment against that. And I have to say the community of providers I talked to could not have been nicer, could not have been more supportive, could not have been more encouraging around how they could advocate on my behalf. It was just going to be a longer time horizon with some other challenges. And and they were honest. They said, you're not going to, you know, a couple of the agencies said, with all due respect, you can't really even join our list because we have so many single moms who are still waiting two years later for a, a child. So. So the timeline it really was five years ago, and we're, we're, we're recording this in 2023. So it was really five years ago that you started yeah. started and this. I, this So it's really interesting. Five years. It's five years. And I went through, I Holy would say. cheese and crackers. Yeah. I would say I went through about six months, six months of really thinking I was going to use my own genetic material. And it was through multiple yep. consults that I then maybe in 2019 said, this is not something I can do. So okay. then I started looking into egg donor, sperm donors, and adoption, decided not to go adopt, decided to go this egg donor, sperm donor route. And then once I started going through that, COVID interfered. I did find a lovely egg donor. I found a sperm donor, which is a little like a very weird version of match.com. Yeah, we have to talk about that. Yeah, we got to go back yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. So that that's how it started. But that, that really started to unfold seriously at end of 2020, beginning of 2021. So- Okay, so you decide that, then you decide you're going to have to find a a, a surrogate, uh, a yeah. woman to carry the baby, and then you need a donor for the eggs, and you need a donor for the sperm. So, do you just go to Costco? Where, where do we go? I, I mean, is it like something you can? Yeah, is it an Amazon just, thing? Is it? A- you just put your face on a poster and you say, oh, you know, I'm looking for all these different pieces. Could they come together for me? Filter. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I'll explain each and it's really unique, the search. Okay. So okay, cool. I, I think I've referenced this to you like offline, but we, yeah. we may go into some form of consulting in this as a company just because it's just such a fragmented area and it's confusing. I started with the sperm donor, which is probably the wrong way to start because it was easily accessible. There's several different cryobanks, sperm banks, basically. Okay. There's a lot of controversy in the field because it's not highly regulated. So you, Tim, can go give your sperm as a 22-year-old college male who's looking to make some extra cash. Mm -hmm. That sperm could spawn, you know, who knows, you know, hundreds of people. It's in a vial it's literally you go onto a website, you pick which person looks, and they have genetic testing available. It's way different than it used to be. They have pictures. The The sperm donor I chose was what's considered a known donor, meaning that he's open to my child reaching out to him at the age of 18 or over uh-huh. and saying, I want to know who my dad is, who my biological father is. You heard some interviews from him. I saw pictures of him as a young child. I did not see pictures of him as an adult. It's got basic info on their health history, their education. 
But there are some, you know, you can read some horror stories online. There's a, a, a very active group about this donor was supposed to be redheaded and, you know, a lacrosse player. And it turned out with somebody with a psychotic disorder, you know, there's there. So there has been some confusion around this. Yes. Okay. So I bumped into this group called donor sibling registry, which is a great group and talked with the owner of it. And there, you know, she makes some very valid and, and good points about sperm banks and how that business probably needs to change. So long winded way of saying I went partially because of what I was looking for. There was one bank she particularly liked called the Sperm Bank of California. A lot fewer donors, but they allegedly through their bank only allow people to contribute so many times. So you in your mind can assume. And now I've learned there are actually services that will go out and do a private client search. I think I wasn't aware of this at the time. Had I known this is the route I would have gone, which is you give them criteria of what you're looking for and they contact people and ask if they'd be interested on your behalf or they put ads out and people respond. But allegedly you have some kind of understanding, a legal agreement that's somewhat enforceable that says you're only going to donate for this family. And the hope is that it just decreases the amount of people. Because one of the controversies, there's actually a very funny Vince Vaughn movie about this called Delivery Man, which is like, you know, somebody donates sperm and now there's, you know, there's 500 siblings in the world. How many siblings, you know, half siblings do you have? And then as a parent, are you responsible for being in touch with all these half siblings? So you really have nothing. There's no... Yes, there's no nothing oh you share. My. So it's a very interesting. So the wow. sperm donor, despite all of this, was actually the easiest. I mean, I, in my very Harvard Business School way, had a spreadsheet and the criteria. <laughs> it was 10 different people. Like it was, you know, it was very scientific. Oh um, but I found a sperm donor, never met him, but heard him and saw the profile. So that was simple. The egg donor, um, you're looking for similar things, but it's a little different because the egg donor actually has to go get cleared at a clinic. So they oh. can't donate as many times. I actually did meet my egg donor via Zoom during COVID. She was lovely. Everybody asked me, does she look like me? She looks nothing like me. She's absolutely beautiful, but looks totally different. I was, you know, I had very specific criteria. I wanted folks that were smart, that seemed very kind. Were If they were tall, that was a bonus. If they were good looking, that was a bonus. I wanted people with no addiction history, no mental health history. I particularly was very, very concerned about ALS and Parkinson's just because we yep. don't have a lot of treatment. So if there was a lot of predisposition yep. and families, I rolled those out. And that sounds like not a lot of criteria, but that it is a lot when you're going through both sperm donors and egg donors. There's There was always somebody who looked fantastic and then they had this genetic predisposition towards X, Y, Z, or they looked, you know, one of them, one carrier I remember I really liked, she was a cystic fibrosis carrier when she went through the, um, the screening process. So you just, there was always a something, but I did find this great egg donor. So then you had the sperm donor and the egg donor. So then they went through the process of making embryos, which are stored. Um, and oh, this process wow. was delayed during COVID, which is why it took a while. The surrogacy by far, in my opinion, is the most complicated, even though interestingly enough, it's not, you know, it's not the genetic material of your child. It's really the best way I've heard it described. It sounds a little transactional, but it's a vessel. You want someone who's going to be a safe home for your child. Mm-hmm. Basically. That's right. Um, that makes sense. You that, have, that actually makes sense. But how right? do you find that, that? Yeah, it's very tricky. <laughs> so there are people, there's there's an interesting new company that's now trying to like democratize this because all of these pieces are expensive. Surrogacy by far is the most expensive. They told me, you know, it, it's 
any an average journey can be between 150 and 200,000. And I'm sure there's exceptions on both sides of that equation, mm-hmm. but it's all primarily in cash as the intended parent. So you're not, you're not, it's not an inexpensive endeavor. It's confusing. And so, and the agencies, again, it's a little bit like the wild west. There's not tons of regulation. You're not totally sure. I wasn't comfortable. There was nobody in my net network who was a natural fit. Let me back up for a second for the egg and the sperm donor. The, my doctor actually at my clinic asked, is there somebody, you know, who could contribute familial genetic material, meaning that the baby would still have my O'Connor genes. And I had two brothers, so there was no sister. And the brother, you know, one brother, I said, I'm not even, I can't ask. And it's going to be like, that's just way too weird. The second brother who I think I could have worked it out with actually is the one who passed away. Unfortunately, he, he and I both have weird personalities. And I think he, I think it would have been very bizarre, but I think he also was the type of kid who would have said like, Let's do it. Get what you're doing. Yeah. Let's just do it. You know? So that was sort of the genetic answer on that. And and I asked the doctor, like, should I be looking at other people in my network who are friends or this or that? And she said, you know, we really don't advise it. And she said, it was interesting. She was a, you know, she's a good specialist in New York City. And she said, lots of people do it. For me, I was concerned personally because I'm not genetically related to my child. So my concern was. It depended on who it was, but but I felt mm-hmm. like if it was somebody who was more tangentially related to the child, then what's their involvement in there? Then they're actually the biological father. It just seemed to get a little more confusing. Complicated. I ultimately didn't go that road, but lots of people do. Lots of people either ask family members, or they ask right. for any one of these things, or they ask people like you know, you know, gay couples who ask a, a good right. female friend, could you donate your eggs? That kind of thing. And there's lots of movies that are made about this. So I just wanted to mention it. But on the surrogacy and we, side- We had, we, John and I were approached twice. Were by, you? By lesbian couples asking us to donate the sperm. How did you think about it? When I was flattered for some sure. reason. I figured it out or they were desperate. <laughs> no. I thought that it at first, because I was like, well, why wouldn't we? I mean- and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know. So then I said, well, does that mean at some point they're going to know that yeah. that I'm the father or the you know provided the sperm? And and they said we would prefer not to at first. So that was their first response. And I said, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. And then the other couple that asked us, we really liked the couple. They were, I think, a very stable couple. They're still together today. The other couple are not together today. But the other couple that said they, they they were open to that wound up asking another older gay couple that we were all friends with of one of them had kids from an earlier life and the other didn't. And he was actually the older of the couple. And they took the sperm. And then ironically, they wound up becoming like grandparents and helped That's take crazy. care of the kids because the both, both women worked and they were semi-retired. And so they helped run errands, take the kids to school. They really, really enjoyed it. And then I think Chuck is still alive. I think Bud passed away. So Bud was the father to the sperm. So it was one of those really endearing stories that, you know, when they told us we were going another path, you know, it's, it's always <laughs> an interesting. I mean, it's like, well, should I be upset that I'm not being chosen? I'm like, <laughs> so I can't imagine the emotion you're going through. I was only tangentially part of it. It does sort of start to send all this thought process going when, you know, it's a gay couple. My, my, I'll just also say my mother has been asking every year if we're going to have kids. She's not let that go. 
She's like, <laughs> adoption is still an option. Yeah, and my and John Madhouse says, you know, Mitzi, that that ship has sailed. That that, that, <laughs> that horse is out of the barn. And she's like, no, no, John, it's not. It's not really because men can have kids. Men can, can kill. They can still produce. Women are the problem. You got to get a young. Women woman. are the problem. <laughs> and she's like, and I think we need a little color in our family. We need a little more people with a little more skin. You know, we're Scottish, German, and so you know, maybe you think Latin. Maybe you should. I was like, oh. My God, my mom's genetic big advocate. She knows what she wants. <laughs> so that brought me to the whole thought about like you choosing yeah. the sperm donor, you choosing the egg donor. I mean, it does sort of bring up a sort of surreal conversation. It's, it's, it's very weird. And I joke about the spreadsheets and I've kept them, but I really had a debate when <laughs> I put them in storage because I was like, so what am I going to show my child? You could have been like this kid, but now you know we did this. It's just very weird. And, and you know, I, I honestly talked to my therapist during this process. Thank God. I Thank have a God. And she and I was saying to her how frustrating I was. And she pointed out something that was very logical, but like just it escaped my my pea-sized brain. She was like, you know, you most people don't have this much, these many decisions to make when they have children. You know, they get to a certain age, even if they go the adoption route, who shows up, they either decide, yes, I'm comfortable or no, this or no, right, child. Right. They don't, and if you get pregnant, you, you're not controlling the timing, controlling this control. It's very, it's a very different or perceiving that you have control, which is, you know, something we can get into. That's uh, this process has taught me we have no control in life and I better just give it up because it's, it's not going to happen the way, like the same way I thought I was going to have, you know, Mr. Wright standing next yeah. to me, rubbing my feet mm. and then taking care of the babies. That's, that's not here either. So yeah, not that either one of us are controlling or wanting to no, no, direct outcome. No, 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 very flexible, easy very going. Flexible. Like a, um, like a willow in the wind, as I tell everybody, including yes. my therapist. Hey, hey, sorry for the interruption. Look, I know you're listening to the Rainbow Bull podcast, and I'm really happy you're here. But if you have any questions or issues you'd like to have us discuss with the experts, please email them to us at tim.volk at tvolkco.com. We would love to hear from you. So the last thing I'll say on the surrogate side, I wound you wind up going through agencies. I wasn't comfortable. There are some ways you can either ask a family friend. I didn't have anybody of the age that I thought it would make sense and be a natural fit, or I didn't feel like it might make a, the relationship awkward. There was one person I thought of, but I just thought it might. So I went through an agency and they helped me find a surrogate. You know, mm -hmm. I had some bumps along this road. The first surrogate I interacted with had all sorts of views. She was for first time surrogate, all sorts of views on surrogacy and, and how it was going to work. And then ultimately did not pass the screening piece, which was uncomfortable. Wow. I, I learned a lot about myself in this process and what was important to me. I found a second surrogate who I absolutely adored and mm. is a lovely family. And I think, you know, you know, this, I went on a journey with her. She was pregnant and, and lost the baby at 36 weeks of stillbirth. Very unusual, not specific to surrogacy, has nothing to do with the process. I've talked to two maternal fetal medicine specialists just to make sure the embryos are okay to use. And I'm going through this again now using the same embryos and they've assured me it had nothing, you know, she didn't do anything wrong. I'm still in touch with her, but that's what I mean about losing control. Like, you know, I had tried to control for all these various variables and yep. you know, in the end, this was outside of what I could control. So we, we learn how to manage risk. I mean, that's one of the yes. things we're trying to do is mitigate the variable, yes. mitigate the risk. It's what we all learn. And, our graduate schools and and we're trying to figure out how to make it happen. And then yes, you have a vision and you're trying to bring the vision home. 
I mean, yeah. it's it's literally bring the vision home. Do you like that? That was cute. <laughs> that was clever. I make myself laugh sometimes. So, uh, so what happens now? Like, yeah. I mean, before we do that, was there something you would do differently? Yeah, from the beginning. Question. Yeah, that you so could tell. If I'm people? advising clients, I think one is just having better education about. The agencies all work differently. They they charge fees differently. They match differently, different okay. requirements. I would have established myself at a fertility clinic, which, you know, my doctor, my fertility doctor in New York has been the shining star and her staff at that clinic, CCRM New York. I think they're the best. That I did further along than I would have initially. I think I would have started there and found the fertility clinic, but it came at an okay time. I would have sperm donation, not to make men feel inferior, but it's actually a quick process. Once you find the sperm donor, you order the vial and the vial shipped to the clinic and that's sort of that. It's not, egg donors are much longer. So many thoughts, so many thoughts. So many in thoughts. I can't even, I'll just let it go, but go on. But, but the egg donors need to get, they get tested. They need to do this. You need to find one that can produce a lot of eggs. It's So it's, it's more complicated. So I would have started with the clinic and the egg donors first. I would have, started a surrogacy process earlier and asked and been honest about like, okay, we're making embryos, but can we start, can you get me on a list? Because a lot of these surrogacy agencies, and I'll talk about that in a second, in terms of where we are now, have, you know, six month year long waiting list. You don't want to go on when you're like, okay, embryos are made, you know, where's the surrogate? It's not like that. They don't just show up. So I would have done those things differently. I think I think those are the main things. I think I did some things well, which I'll credit. I I did a lot of research on my own. I did a lot of, I would have allocated resources a little differently. There are some full service surrogacy agencies, one Mm. that was particularly generous with their time to me, and I'm not a client of theirs, so I have no incentive to say this, is Circles, which is a big one in Boston. But they have sort of a full service team. I didn't become a client because their waiting list time was long. So I wish I had contacted them earlier. I think you know, they're sort of like you hand it to them. Their legal is in-house. They, they've they been doing this a long time. They're established, but their fee structure is different than others. And so I, I didn't go that route because in my circumstance, I wanted to move quickly and I just, I knew it was going to take too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think if I had started earlier, I would have considered one of those agencies where they sort of take a lot of the legwork off the off the shoulders of the intended parent. So when, so, so my, my daughter was lost in December of 2022. So, you know, a few months ago, and I I was hysterically crying the day it happened. I was, I'm still in touch with the surrogate, but I was also on a phone the next day, you know, December 22nd, the day after she died with surrogacy agencies, like hysterically crying. I mean, it's the most (laughs) unbalanced I've probably been in a long time, but I was like, you know what? I want to do this again. So I I don't want, you know, people are like, you should grieve. I'm like, I'm not grieving. I'm not going to waste a week grieving. I mean, this was my mentality. Like I need to get back on lists and do this and do that because I was trying to control what I could. I think does long- that surprise me? You didn't say, Tim. Does, are you surprised with that comment? No. <laughs> is this, no, is this I'm not. Like no, I'm not. I know you were probably thinking, "Oh, is he surprised?" No, I'm not. And I and I did grieve. I did go back to a therapist. I talked to my therapist more regularly. I talked to a woman who started a great organization for for intended parents who lose their child through a stillbirth. Mm. So I did a lot of things, but wow. I was also kind of like, "Okay, we gotta we gotta get moving again." So I would do those things differently. I think I would rethink whether I told, I did write an email to everybody. And some of that was deliberate because when people are pregnant, they see their stomachs and everybody celebrates it. I'm a no on baby showers. I don't really like them. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want a baby shower. Absolutely not. 
But then it started to feel like, okay, this isn't going to be, I can't just show up with the baby. Like, oh, hi, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> I was never pregnant. There was no shower and no announcement. And then, you know, little Jermaine walked You didn't in. notice? I just wore big clothing. Yeah, I know. So, wait, where have you been? I sat so behind I my desk. An, I sent out an announcement, you know, this time around, I'm being more selective. I'm not doing that okay. because of the the outcome that happened. So there are a few things I'd do differently, but but not a lot. I learned a lot. And I think if our company does do something in this space, I'm well positioned because I've learned you, you, nothing makes you learn like going through the process. Oh, yourself. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so now so where so are we now, at now? Like, give us yeah. like, give us the update. Oh, my God. I got to have the update. <laughs> I'm pursuing what's called the dual journey, which is two surrogates at the same time, because I don't do anything simply. Holy uh, cheese and crackers. Yeah. So when my surrogate was pregnant the last time, I knew I wanted a second child. And I was already talking about to agencies about doing a second child. When okay. when I lost my daughter Ainsley in December, I this was another how do you break it to your parents moment. But I thought, I want two kids. I don't see the point of spacing it out over a couple of years because I'm getting old. So I'm gonna just do two kids at the two surrogates at the same time. It it varies by where you are in the country, but the idea of doing two embryo transfer, which is people used to do that and have twins or triplets, it's not as common on the East Coast, at least. Clinics don't love it because it's a higher risk pregnancy. Right. You know, you can have multiples that go beyond twins. It's just complicated. So they say if you really want two kids with similar timing, do two surrogates. So that's what I'm doing. So one surrogate is going to likely, they have a transfer date, which actually during our taping I've learned is going to be in mid-May. So a couple of weeks okay. from now. Okay. And yeah, then yeah. the second surrogate likely will be sometime in early June. So it is, we're going through it again, <laughs> hoping for much better outcomes, but I've met both of them a few times. I'm in touch with them. Agencies have been great. Surrogates are lovely. And so, you know, I'm just, going to spend the next year anxiously awaiting the arrival of two children to add to my pack of three dogs and no husband or other, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, we're going to have to get some help. I think that's that I did talk to a nanny agency this morning that I was in touch with and said, just so you know, you know, I'm going to be calling in the next six months because <laughs> there's right. no way I can pull this whole mm -mm. thing off by myself. Patrice, what do you think? Are you, do you have quite thoughts? <laughs> Cause you're a mom, right? I am three boys, including a set of twins. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you need energy, Arden. You've got it. You definitely <laughs> have the energy. Yeah, I don't think but you are going to use every single ounce of that. And I, I pray that everything is wonderful for you. I really Thank you. Me too. Thank, you. Thank you. I'm very lucky. And it's interesting. It connects with an earlier podcast I did about, you know, the village raising the children and the adults, like mine yeah. is very much going to be in that vein. I, I'm lucky enough to have a three bedroom apartment in Boston. I don't live below my parents anymore, but I still live in the same building. I'm really trying to keep one of the bedrooms as a guest bedroom. And especially I know the gender too, it'll likely be two girls. So Thanks. I'm like, we're going to shove them all in the same room because I want space for family, friends, whomever wants to stay and help out to be there because I, you know, I have a company and I'm blessed to have a great team that can largely run the place without my two cents. But there's a, I have a busy life as it is, and this is going to add to it. And I'm really excited to be a mom, but I'm also, you know, I also know I'm going to need some help. There, there's That's no one way. heck of a journey, girl. One heck of a journey, yeah. though. Those kids have a great... Oh, where did you come from? Well, I'll tell you, baby. That's a story. 
Yes. It's funny you say that. That I always grew up with siblings. I loved, you know, I miss my brother every day who passed. And my other brother and I are very close. He's got two kids. And and people said, can't one be enough? And if I'm lucky to have one child who, who is healthy or who's not healthy, I will be overjoyed. Mm-hmm. That said, if I'm lucky enough to have two, I would be excited because I was part of a sibling group. But the the other reason I really was committed to this is for just what you said. It's a unique way to come into the world. And I feel like in some ways, you know, two children being born around the same time, having the same story might feel a little less stigmatizing if that is still a thing Uh, when they're older than than one who has to, you know, explain to people why there's no dad and, you know, that that they don't look like their mom and all those questions that inevitably will come up at some point. So, um, and, and back to your earlier point, Tim, which I think is interesting about the, you know, you being asked and not knowing, I mean, I, I do think what's interesting is with ancestry.com and all these different genetic testing sites, this idea that you're going to remain anonymous is basically gone. I mean, it it doesn't exist anymore. So the kids are going to want to know, they're going to want to know. And I very I mean, people keep asking, how do you plan to tell them? I'm like, I'm going to tell them as early and often as I can with I language that's appropriate to their stage. But I don't want it to be this. I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm on a podcast about, I mean, this is something I'm very happy that I can do. And I'm very, I, I'm thrilled that my parents are supportive and, and my family and friend group by and large is very, very supportive as well. So well, we're going to get updates, right? Oh, you will. You maybe I'll bring them on the podcast with. Oh the my god! Oh, that'd be so awesome. Awesome. <laughs> oh my god! Don't you think it'd be great, Patrice? We yes. would love to have them everybody comes on. Oh my, my god! Mom, my mom looked at me and said, "You get a baby, and you get a baby, <laughs> you get a baby." And, I, and my mom said, "You do seem to like a lot of chaos in your life for somebody who lives she alone." She said that. <laughs> yeah, she did. Because I said something about the two, and she goes, "Well, first of all, I understand what you're doing, and no problem." And she was like. But second, like nobody needed a third dog. That was a dumb decision to begin with. And we now love him and he's part of the pack and it all works out. So I do, I have a lot of energy. I'm committed to living a very healthy lifestyle. I want to live till I'm 105. I don't mind a little bit of chaos. I'm not somebody who, you know, I couldn't even run this company if I didn't. Most of the situations we're involved in are pretty chaotic. Oh, no. No, the stories you share, I I mean, so in in a way... This is fitting into your life quite well. I also love that it's a it's there's a bit of a leading edge here where you're really trying to help. I've had many friends who've tried to have children. Yeah. A couple of them have been very successful in their surrogacy. The kids, I, I will tell you my observation from the outside is these kids are very loved. They're very well wanted. They they went through a lot to have these children. Yeah. And they're these are gay couples. Although it's one gay guy that's not married, by the way, doesn't have a boyfriend, had a baby because he wanted a baby and he was afraid he was getting a very similar story. He did. He's a little OCD. He had three nannies, a day <laughs> nanny, a night nanny, and like an on, on all nanny that was there all the time. I was I was trying to meet all these people. I'm like, how many children did you have? I thought you had one. And he's like, yeah, like, and I'm like, this is a staff for one child. <laughs> Your own anyway, organization. <laughs> you know, and then all of the uncles, because the gay uncles were wanting to be in the game, the gay aunts. I mean, it was like everybody wanted to be around the kids. So it's a huge, I, I think there's a great love around it. Yeah. And I think about how many kids just need love. Uh, I mean, and if there's love, it solves for almost everything. 
You're, no, you're exactly right. And and that's why when people ask, like, what was the light bulb? I'm like, I didn't have a light bulb moment. I just figured if I keep doing these meetings and I'm still here asking again about another surrogacy journey, going to another consult, I must really want this because who in their right mind would spend the money, the time and bang their head against a wall if, you, if you're not sure. So I, I am very excited. And there's, you know, the good news is in this day and age, there's single mothers by choice. There's surrogacy networks. There's intended parent right. networks, which is my title. Like there's there's a network for anything that you want. So there's not, I, I've been amazed at how I've been open about this. A friend has a podcast called Storked, which is all about the new way people are bringing families into this world. It includes surrogacy. It includes single moms, gay couples, everything, everything you can imagine. It's a really interesting podcast. But, you know, I'm encouraged that we just see so much more development in this area. So I think, you know, 20 years from now, I think we'll be laughing like, you know, remember when grandpa used to walk up the hill and there was no cars? Like, it's going to feel like that. Like, oh, yeah, of course, this is what you do. It's not that big of a deal. So. I really appreciate you sharing this. I'm so excited. I mean, I've, I've known about this for a while. I've known that you've been on this journey I think it can be uh, visionary for a lot of other people I know that are going through this or wanting to go through it. So you're willing to be typically you willing to share and help others, which is just something you are. Thank you. And I, and do you want to, do you want people to be able to call you or do you want us to? Anybody's welcome. They, you know, they're welcome to call me or email me if they have questions about the process right now. It's not something we're offering as a service, but I'm happy to just share anecdotally Mm -hmm. my experiences and, you know, who I used and what was helpful, what wasn't. So yes, my email is aoconnor at oconnorpg.com and my cell phone is 617-290-9818. And of course, you could call me at 312-636-5855 or email me at tim.volkatme.com or you can go to our website at tvolko.com. But this is so cool. And I'll put you in touch with her. Patrice, (laughs) I I I am. did I miss something? I don't think so, except to let me say I'm so excited about this for you, really, too. And hey, the great reason to follow or subscribe to the podcast, right? You're right. going to get an update here. <laughs> yes, We're going to get an update. Yes, We're going to yes. have babies. That's We're going to have babies. It. I can't wait. And share with others as well. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Bull Podcast. Visit our website at www.tvolco.com or give us a call at 312-636-5855. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of T. Volk and Company Consulting. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.